infertility is really common. The statistic you see a lot is one out of eight. It's actually one out of six couples now. So it's actually increased in prevalence. The official definition is going to be based on female age. So presuming that you are having regular cycles, so meaning a woman is ovulating and you're using no contraception and you're having intercourse, it will be trying to get pregnant for a year if you're under age 35 and trying to get pregnant for six months if you're 35 and older. As men's health specialists, we know guys are shaving their balls. Yeah, we examine a lot of you, so we literally see it, but we also have the data showing it too. That's right. According to research, over 85% of men trim their pubes. Not only that, but research shows that over 70% of women prefer a partner with at least partially trimmed pubic hair. So guys, we know you're trimming the edges, and we know that most women prefer you manscape. So if you're going to shave your balls, why not use the best men's grooming kit around? We're talking about Manscaped. With the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, you get the Lawnmower 4.0 with their all-new skin-safe electric trimmer that protects your balls from getting those cuts we've all had in the past. You also get the Weed Whacker 2.0 for trimming your nose and ear hairs. And let me tell you guys, we all need to do a better job of this. Yep, that's right. Kevin and I both have the performance package, and we really love it. Manscaping has never been easier for us. And for our listeners, we have a special promotion. Go to manscaped.com and enter promo code MANUP and get 20% off your first purchase. Go get your Manscaped products today. Your balls and your partner will thank you. topics and men's health. You have questions that you are too afraid to ask. We have the answers. This week, our episode is titled Understanding Female Fertility with Dr. Natalie Crawford. I'm Dr. Kevin Chu, and I'm joined as always with my co-host, Dr. Justin Dubin. Justin, it's time to, to uh, you know, rack up, you know, see what our NBA final predictions were. I think we were off pretty bad. <laughs> By a lot. I think I had the West. I had Sacramento and coming out of the East was Boston. Um, I'm happy yeah. to be wrong. Very happy to be wrong. Hey, here. Miami Heat, Miami Heat, dude. Let's I go hope heat, they can pull baby. the upset off, but uh, the Nuggets look good. Not gonna lie. Listen, they have beaten every team other than the Knicks. Every team should have crushed them theoretically. So uh, remember the ESPN gra graphic: ninety-seven percent chance <laughs> that the Boston Celtics were going to win this series. Um, so yeah, I mean, I agree. Listen, the Nuggets are probably the most Joker, joke it. He's he's, he's devastating. Know, generational. Yeah, absolutely. So. I mean, it, don't, it took him many years, but I mean, the guy's just incredible. He's just a really, really incredible basketball player, Here's averaging a triple double, averaging pretty much a Here's triple an important double. question for you. You're going to be in Miami. There's going to be some great games there. You're going to go to either game three or four. I'm thinking about it. I'm looking at All numbers. Right. I could also go to a Panthers game. I was thinking about it with Dude, our South friend. Florida, South Florida, just so many, so it's many good uh, exciting championship series. <laughs> it's a good time to be in South Florida. I might also think about going to a Panthers game. Uh, shout out the Panthers as well. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. But it's good. It's going to be a good week, good f two weeks for uh, sports in South Florida. Um, yeah. But uh, 
let's talk a little bit about, you know, as we're entering June, um, it is World Infertility Awareness Month. And, and we're going to be highlighting two episodes this month um, that discuss infertility. And this first one, um, we're really, really honored to have Dr. Natalie Crawford on. You know, she's a board certified OBGYN reproductive endocrinologist who specializes in female infertility. Um, you know, She's a fertility doctor, a health educator, and entrepreneur. She practices in Austin, Texas, and she really has an incredible social media following. Um, and she's also the host of, of her excellent podcast, As a Woman, which has over 2 million downloads. So, you know, we're really excited to have her on today and really give us a perspective that I think men, at least men that uh, actually pretty much all men really need to hear of, you know, right. the struggles that women go through in the fertility process. You know, I, th I think this was a, this in particular was a really special episode for both me and you, Justin, because, you know, Justin, you're a male fertility specialist in South Florida. I'm a male fertility specialist in Los Angeles. And this is a lot of what we deal with, you yes. know, the fertility process more on the male side, but, you know, we see couples and we see what goes through uh, what, you know, both the couple go through as well as, you know, we hear about a lot of what the women go through. And so I think this episode was so important to kind of highlight a lot of things that we don't know about the process, you know, the general public. And um, it's it's really important to know, I think everyone to know, as you know, fertility is a you know, very prominent issue in, in our world, right, Justin? It's, it's become obviously a huge topic uh, uh, on social media, in the news, pretty much, you know, someone you know, if not your yourself, some couple is struggling with fertility, you know, about 15% of couples struggle with fertility. Um, and I think the important thing here is to, to really, a, as a man, to understand what your partner is going through in this process. You know, we, we really go in detail. Uh, it, it couldn't be physically, mentally, emotionally difficult for your partner. And one thing that you really have to understand is how supportive you need to be. And, 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 and one thing that we know the data shows is that guys aren't doing their part. And when we're saying doing their part is getting evaluated for fertility. So, you know, you're going to hear what they go through. Um, and it's really important that you become empathetic. You, you, you understand, you can sympathize with your partner, and, and this, by, by listening to this episode, hopefully you, ha you discover better ways to support your partner. And that includes getting a workup yourself. If you're a couple, remember, it takes two to tango. 50% of the time, there's going to be a male factor involved. So for you to allow your partner to go through this, you know, pretty intense thing, I mean, I, I think it's the best way you can support them is by getting worked up yourself. I think that was well said, man. Um, yeah. And, you know, the episode really, I think we highlight on, you know, you know, things to optimize, you know, female fertility. And we also talk about, you know, just the whole, you know, you know, artificial reproductive technologies, all that kind of process. And uh, yeah, you know, like you kind of highlight, it, it, there, there's things that we, we just think that you kind of just put, you're putting a sperm or putting an egg in a, in a, in a dish and that's it. And, you know, magic happens. And, uh, no, that's, that's not it. There's way more to it. And there's, there's a lot that kind of, uh, you know, affects 
especially the, the female body. And so that's kind of what you'll learn in this episode. Yeah. And I just want to make, you know, we end the episode on a comment on the, the Roe v. Wade overturning. And, you know, we are not a political podcast by any means, but when it comes to a stance on women's rights and women's health, um, it is a medical necessity that women have, you know, female rights to abortion, access to abortion. And we do go into that. We do discuss that. Um, so, you know, I from from I think I, I speak for Kevin and I, this is not a political stance by any means. This is a science backed, data backed thing. Women, if they are to get true health and wellness and access to care, they need access to abortion. I am currently in a state, you know, Florida, where it has become very, very strict. Kevin, uh, fortunately, is, you know, in an area where, where he doesn't have to worry about that as much. But I can tell you from a healthcare standpoint, it has been quite difficult um, to recruit uh, reproductive endocrinologists at this point to recruit women's healthcare providers um, to the state of Florida. There's data suggesting that, you know, people are not wanting to practice in these states because of this. And it is a concern. So I think that's something else that you really have to consider when you're coming out of this episode is you're going to hear what women have to go through through this process. And it's all connected, you know. Um, um, so I think it's it's something really important to also take away with this episode. Um, I don't know if you have any comments on that, Kev. No, you know, that, that was well said. Uh, you know, I, I think as physicians, you know, medical choices are made by the individual, right? Yes. That, that's very important. And there, there shouldn't be any, the sex should not play a part in it, you know, and none of that, anything. And, you know, like we said, the Man Up podcast is not a political podcast. We're not here to you know, kind of preach our political views or anything like this. But when th this issue in particular really deals with autonomy of health, right? Yep. And that, that's very important to us as physicians and kind of the message we want to kind of send to our listeners. So uh, this was an important topic. And, then, you know, it was a really good discussion that we had at the end of, uh, of the episode. Yeah. So I, I think having said that, um, I hope you guys really, really enjoyed this episode. I think this was a really special one for us. Um, I think it's a great tool for a lot of guys to to listen to, um, especially if they're thinking about or planning and going through the IVF process with their partner. And I think this is a good tool for partners to actually show their, you know, the female partners to show their, their male partners uh, to get a better grasp of kind of what's what's going on. Um, as always, we always appreciate comments, you know, on our podcast, on iTunes, Spotify, downloading, subscribing, giving us reviews is always appreciated. Five stars really helps us out a lot, um, helps the podcast and helps other men get access to this podcast, you know, by, by optimizing the search engine optimization there. So we always appreciate that. Um, having said that, um, let's get into the episode. One of the major reasons we do this podcast is to destigmatize conversation in men's health, and that includes mental health. Mental health constantly comes up in our podcast because it can impact so many other aspects of your life. That's why we are sponsored by BetterHelp, the world's largest therapy service. And listen, guys, we get it. Talking about this stuff can be hard, but BetterHelp makes it 
that much easier because it's 100% online, so you can get the help you need from the comfort of your own home. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. For our listeners, we have a special deal. You get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com backslash man up. That's BetterHelp.com slash man up. So make sure you're taking care of your mental health and sign up for BetterHelp today. So let's jump into our conversation with Dr. Crawford here. Now, just, just to kind of you know, kind of guide our listeners here. We're only going to really talk about really general concepts here. Uh, Dr. Crawford is an excellent disseminator of information and her website, as we'll talk about later, her podcast really, really breaks down into a lot of that information, but we're just going to talk about some basics here so that way our listeners can kind of understand fertility. So very general first question, what is the medical definition of infertility and how common is it amongst couples? I love it. Thank you guys so much for having me on and for opening up this discussion Infertility is really common. The statistic you see a lot is one out of eight. It's actually one out of six couples now. So it's actually increased in prevalence. Mm. And the official definition is going to be based on female age. So presuming that you are having regular cycles, so meaning a woman is ovulating and you're using no contraception and you're having intercourse, it will be trying to get pregnant for a year if you're under age 35 and trying to get pregnant for six months if you're 35 and older. Great. So it's it's obviously there is a female component that you already have brought up in fertility, but I think it's also important. And this is one of the problems that I think a lot of people don't understand. There's this huge stigma on women you know, that they, you know, they are the ones who have to get worked up because, you know, when we're talking about couple fertility, you know, we're worried about the female, but just so people know, I think it's important for both men and women to know what percentage of time in couples infertility is it female? What percentage of time is it male? Um, combination of both. Yeah. I, I love you guys so much for this because there's so often I will see somebody sit in front of me and I will see the female partner say, oh, he doesn't need to get checked. It's me. Or mm-hmm, right. I don't want to mm-hmm. put him through that. Or my periods are irregular. So I know it is me. 20% of the time it is a sole male cause of infertility and mm-hmm. up to 40% of the time it is a combination of a male factor plus a female factor. So that is not the case that we're just going to sit here and not evaluate everything that is involved in what it takes. I think the three of us here know that reproduction, human reproduction is highly inefficient and there Mm -hmm. is so much that has to go right. And there are so many things that can go wrong and make it harder for somebody to get pregnant. And that's such a fantastic, you know, point. Think about it, you know, for our listeners, 40%, 40% that there could be two people, you know, two factors, both male and female, that are kind of contributing to infertility. Now, Dr. Crawford, one of the things that a lot of my patients come and don't really know about, and I just was wondering if you could kind of expand on, is explaining the role of age and fertility in women. How does this maybe impact a couple's decision to seek fertility care? That's a really important question. And the easiest way to first think about this, and then I'll explain it, is that unlike men who have 
magic germ cells, you know, in their testes that make brand new baby sperm every single day, right? Like it's miraculous. Um, You know, (laughs) women are not that way. We are born with every single egg we are ever going to have. And we lose them even when we're a baby inside our mother's womb, right? Like eggs are losing at a rapid rate. However, the other thing that is happening is those eggs are sitting there the entire time. And interestingly, they're in a state of cell division that is extremely fragile. And so those chromosomes and the proteins that hold the chromosomes in their perfect position really absorb the wear and tear of life. Even if you are the healthiest human being we know, time plays a role. And just like you're still going to get knee pain and back pain and wrinkles and other things that happen as you get older the same thing that's happening inside your ovaries. So those proteins start to break down and your chromosomes do not stay in the perfect position. And this happens with age regardless of other factors. So just for example, if you are under age 30, your chance of getting pregnant per month is going to be about 20%. So that's, you know, the best we're rolling with, right? Mm -hmm. Never going to be a hundred. If you are in your early thirties, so if you're, you know, 30 to 33, we're usually looking at 17 to 19% per month. So a very small decrease, Mm -hmm. 34 to 37, suddenly we're looking at 11 to 12% per month. So that's, that's different, right? When you're 38 to 39, we're now looking at a 5% chance of getting pregnant per month. And 40 to 43 is going to now be less than 3% per month. Now, these numbers aren't zero, right? Because millions of people are trying to get pregnant, right? So it does happen. So you telling me, and patients will be like, well, my friend got pregnant at 43. (laughs) And I'm like, yay. I mean, people are going to still get pregnant. But for you individually, you're trying to grow your family. And if these are the numbers, especially if you're just starting your family and you want more than one child and you're starting to get into that mid 30 range, this is where we start to get concerned that you're not going to be able to achieve the family size that you particularly want. It's a, it's a really excellent point. And, you know, time is absolutely of the essence here. And often that's how we even dictate when we see male fertility patients, uh, we talk to the partner, we talk to the couple as a whole and we say, how many kids do you want to have? Because that can also dictate the way that we approach, you know, Mm -hmm. family planning and and our, our, whether it's a surgical approach or medicine approach, IVF, IUI, you know, there's so many different angles there. And also, you know, just so that guys understand, you might be like, okay, so time is important for the women, but actually there's more and more data coming for guys too, for the exact similar reasons. You know, we're starting to understand, we don't know how, how much so, but we're starting to understand fertility does start declining in men, probably in their forties to their fifties. And so, you know, if just because you're like 50 years old and maybe your partner is younger, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, everything's okay. And, and to kind of just bring back and reiterate this idea that guys aren't getting worked up in appropriate manner. There is data showing that, about 20% of men never get checked at least, you know, for fertility when their partner is. And we really need to make sure if we're going to be supporting our partners, if they're going to go through the things that you're about to hear that they have to go through, mm-hmm. it's important to at least talk with your doctor and, and show support and do get your own evaluation. Um, so the question then is a couple comes in, you know, a female comes sees you, say they're 36, they want to see you right away because they want to have more than one kid. Um, what 
I, I think it's important for guys to understand what women have to go through for these evaluations. So what is a, a typical workup uh, for fertility when, when, a, when a, a female comes to see you? Love it. Okay. So the typical workup is going to be checking, you know, all of the top things that we can check that can cause infertility. So, you know, the first thing that we're going to typically do is we're going to bring a patient in and I mean, obviously we'll get a history, but let's talk about physical things, right? So we're going to do an ultrasound. We're going to look at the ovaries. We're going to look at the uterus. We're going to check ovarian reserve, which are tests to see how many eggs do you have? Again, they do not reflect quality of eggs, but it's on Mm -hmm. as how many. So that is going to be dictated on the ultrasound and then blood work. Probably other also will check other blood work that is going to relate to other hormones or things that can be important in carrying a pregnancy like thyroid and vitamin D and different things. Then we're going to check uterus and fallopian tubes. So this is going to be not a fun test for any single person. I describe this as a pap smear meets an x-ray and so if we're being like real honest <laughs> about it right fun. that doesn't sound yeah fun so <laughs> female partner is going to go in and a lot of times this is actually in a radiology suite so it's like a big room there's an x-ray machine it's very sterile she's going to have a speculum placed in her vagina she's going to have the cervix cleaned she's going to have a catheter placed through the cervix into the uterus mm-hmm. that's going to cause some cramping Liquid is going to be placed into the uterus, purposefully distending it, which the uterus does not like, and it causes cramping. And then that liquid is going to be pushed through the fallopian tubes, which means it has to be a rather high volume because you want it to come out the tubes. You'll take x-ray at the same time so that you can see what is happening. And this is called an HSG or a hysterosalpingogram. And that is telling us about the inside of the uterus and the fallopian tubes because a regular ultrasound, the uterus is collapsed because the uterus is a potential space. It does not expand and you can't see inside of it unless there's a pregnancy or you put fluid inside. But we know that people can have uterus birth defects, polyps, Mm -hmm. fibroids, scar tissue, and things inside the uterus that can cause abnormalities. That test is not pleasant. It's not terrible, but it's not pleasant. It has to be done on this exact right time of your period. If your periods are irregular, then it's also hard to schedule. And so, you know, we're looking to see is somebody ovulating? How many eggs do they have? Are there fallopian tubes open? Is their uterus normal? And then also talking them through other hormones and age-related factors. And the male partner needs to ejaculate into a cup. <laughs> That's exactly what we were going to okay. say. Yeah. Kevin, what's our workup? What's our workup? It's, it's, well, uh, the history. guy comes in and uh, ejaculates into a cup, and that's <laughs> – I think that's usually – No, 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 we do a history. Work, doing, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. pretty much it, yeah. you know. You so. can do it, right? You can do it. You can ejaculate <laughs> into a cup for your partner who is having to be, like, internally poked and prodded. That is just part of how this process goes. And so when I see – somebody who refuses to get a semen analysis and I will, and I do, right. I say, I'm so sorry. Absolutely. Um, we do. I can't take care of you guys until that happens because, you know, we know a large portion of patients have a contributing male factor and I'm not willing to sit here and potentially do an appropriate treatment. And so we don't know what we don't know. We need the data. Like, I'm always like, you have one job. This is the job. You yeah. can do it, right? You you're going to do it anyway. You're probably just going to go home and you're gonna do go it home anyway. It. You might as well just do it. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I know it's awkward. Like, I'm sure. And that's fine, you know. But I think this is the point is we're trying to get, you know, information. And right. we really do at this stage of the game. 
you know, need information because infertility does not discriminate and you can have zero warning signs. You know, you can have no problem with your libido, no problem with intercourse. Periods can be absolutely regular, no pain, yet you might have a very difficult time getting pregnant. And the people who, especially, especially the partners who have very low or no sperm counts, those people who maybe had an obstruction and were never going to get pregnant without a sperm extraction and IVF, you know, they sit there and they're like, wow, all of that time we tried to get pregnant, all of that resisting, I did on the semen analysis. Yeah. Like it was never going to happen. Like this one test like changed the trajectory of our family building. And so you don't know what you don't know. And at this stage of the game, at least for the diagnostics, it is a lot easier for the partner with sperm than it is for the partner with ovaries and a uterus. Right. It's a great yeah, summary. Fantastic summary. And I, and I can't stress to our male listeners, like, you know, and, and I think Justin and I, you know, there, you know, there are times we see patients, they come in and they just don't want to give that sample. Understood. Absolutely. Understood. And we try to figure out ways for them as I'm sure you do as well, Dr. Crawford, you know, like certain things you can bring in and within a certain time limit, you can do it at home, um, try to work on it, but, you know, work with you to like, kind of, you know, this is an important data point that is necessary as part of the whole workup. It's truly the gold standard. Yeah. And I will say for, um, you know, there's a subset of people who perhaps it's against their religion to ejaculate and, you know, there are certain collection condoms. So this is a point where I say there's nothing to be embarrassed about Mm -hmm. with your team. You know, if there's a reason why you've never ejaculated versus just saying, I'm not going to do that, you know, but um, maybe say, okay, well, this is the reason why I, you know, feel uncomfortable with this. And, you know, we'll say, oh, well, there's a specific collection condom you can use with intercourse and we can take the sample from there. But unless you tell me that, like, I don't know. So really your team is on your side and advocating for you. And we can make a lot of things work in a lot of different circumstances, but you have to really feel comfortable with who's taking care of you to be open and honest with them. Communication, communication, communication. That's something that guys struggle with for whatever it is, how they feel, but when it comes to medical (laughs) health, they're definitely struggling, you know? So it's really one of the reasons why we started this podcast, because we need guys to understand how important it is to talk Mm -hmm. about these kinds of things, especially if you're trying to future fertility, your family, you value that and you value your partner. You got to talk and you, and if you're having a problem, we can fix it. We can accommodate it and we're going to do our best there. Um, so yeah, so Kevin, I think you got the next question here, right? Yeah, yeah. So you know, Dr. Crawford, on your on your website, you, you talk a lot about optimization of fertility, and I love that. So, what are the important factors, kind of, for our female listeners uh, to determine a woman's fertility? Well, if you're talking about things that you can do to try to improve your fertility, right? Because so many of the things we already talked about, you can't control. Right. So right. let's just say number one getting a timely evaluation. So if you pass those, you know, markers in time, don't delay, like, don't be scared. We're very nice. Come and see us. Number two, if you have warning signs that things are wrong, come see us before those time periods. I mean, if you can't have intercourse because it's painful, if your periods are irregular, please do not sit at home and wait a year. Something is already wrong. Come and see us. Mm -hmm. And then number three, 
we really haven't been trained traditionally in medicine to view the body as a whole, right? We all are experts on like our little organ systems and that's fine. But the reality is the body is one whole thing and what impacts one impacts the other. And so trying to treat your body kindly and decrease inflammation and decrease toxins, Mm -hmm. we are learning more and more impacts so many systems especially our gametes, because eggs and sperm are these single cells that are highly sensitive. And so they really do reflect the world around you. So things like smoking cigarettes, right? Clearly known to decrease both male and female fertility, increase miscarriage rates, you run out of eggs earlier, right? Tons of data now on marijuana, right? We know that marijuana decreases fertility rates. We know that it decreases embryo survival Mm -hmm. in the lab. Emerging data on alcohol, right? Alcohol Mm -hmm. consumption, especially the more you are doing, appears to be worse and worse, both for natural fertility and for embryo development and implantation. And this all makes sense because these things your body doesn't like it, right? You drink a bunch of alcohol, right. you feel like crap the next day. Like that is your body dealing yeah. with the inflammation of drinking. And so none of this is going to shock anybody, right? Like avoid toxins, avoid smoking, drinking, and marijuana. You need to eat lots of fruits and vegetables that have natural antioxidants. You need to stop eating processed foods and sugars, things that our bodies oh, yes. are not meant to eat because those things cause mm-hmm. inflammation and those yep. have downstream impacts. You need to get sleep. Sleep is when your body heals itself. So both for male and female fertility, your body is dependent upon your brain deciding it's a good place to make eggs and sperm happen, right? Like to ovulate, to make sperm. The pituitary gland is like very sensitive. And if it's like, hey, things are not not cool right now. It thinks you're living in a famine or like a war, right? Because the body, you know, we lived in these different world when humans were first trying to get pregnant, right? right. So your chronic stress, because like you're working this crazy job and you're burning it at night and you're getting four hours, that's like the same thing as like farming the field, getting no food all night long. And the body's like, I don't know that we should have a baby right now. Something's happening. So that's when your body heals itself. That's the sign that it is okay that you can handle carrying, raising a child. And this is both for male and female fertility. So that's what I say. I was like, sleep is probably the number one thing that nobody does well. And then, right. Nobody does. I mean, especially look at the three of us. I mean, medical training is like the anti like sleep -sleep. establishment, right? (laughs) That's terrible. Yeah. And so like none of these things that were surprising, right? Like if I tell somebody like you should eat fruits and veggies and stop doing toxic things and you should get sleep, like none of that's like earth shattering news, Mm -hmm. but so often people have not thought about how it can impact their fertility and how it can make it harder for them to get pregnant or have poorer outcomes with IVF. And especially, I mean, I would love everybody to do this when they try to get pregnant, but like, especially if you're doing fertility treatments, right? You are spending your time Mm -hmm. and your money and your physical and emotional energy on this process. And I think it's really important that you control the variables you can, because you didn't, none of those things caused you to need IVF, right? right? But now that you do, I need you to try to do what you can so that we can get you know, the best eggs, the best sperm, and the highest chance of getting you to that ultimate family goal that you desire. It's a great summary. I mean, I think, you know, the, the thing that we preach here a lot is, you know, we say sexual health is health, fertility health 
is health, right? Your mm-hmm. infertility can be a great biomarker. Mar- Sometimes it's not, but lifestyle has a huge impact on that. So over mm-hmm. overweight, eating poorly, not exercising, all the stuff that you said, it can directly impact your, your fertility. It can impact your sexual health. And there's a huge overlap a lot of the times. Like these are signs if you're having sometimes signs of potential other health implications of potential lifestyle problems to just kind of summarize what you, what you said now going on so from this so the workup's done the couple you know for whatever reason whether it's male female factor we just we need to move on to either iui or ivf um let's start off with iui so that guys understand because i think this is one of the when we go into the details here i think this is very important because so far we've established women have a lot to do we just have to ejaculate into a cup and you're going to see that it's going to get even more complicated for women as we go through this process. Um, so can we start with IUI? What is IUI? What does it entail? Um, and who's a good candidate for it? All right. IUI is intrauterine insemination and it essentially is ejaculating into a cup and processing the sperm so that you're putting a concentrated sperm sample into the uterus instead of having, you know, the sperm mixed into the ejaculate just deposited into the vagina. So I use really bad analogies. And for me, I always say, hey, this is taking your players and moving them down the field. If trying to get pregnant, yeah, everybody's in the end zone and they're like trying to get the goal from the end zone, like, okay, 5% chance they get there, like not impossible but not probable. And now I'm taking your players and I'm moving them further down the field. So I'm trying to line up the shot well. I always do say this too, though. If all your players are injured, they're still injured at the 50-yard line, (laughs) right? Like just getting them closer. If they can't do the job or or they're terrible, they're still going to be bad. So like it's more than just getting them closer. And I think that's important, right? Because in an IUI, the sperm still have to swim from the uterus to the fallopian tube. Mm -hmm. They still have to have the ability to fertilize an egg inside the body. The environment of the female body still has to be acceptable and not toxic to allow that embryo to have appropriate early embryo growth. Fallopian tubes have to be normal and open, and then the embryo arrives in the uterus to implant. So IUI can be done in a natural cycle. So you just time it when somebody ovulates. So we have to be able to detect ovulation and have regular cycles. But very commonly, it is paired with ovulation induction medications to either improve ovulation or to try to do something called super ovulation, where I purposely have somebody ovulate two or more eggs based on their age to try to, you know give the sperm multiple opportunities to make the goal, right? Like, Hey, I got a couple goals down here, like kick the ball any direction and you can make it. But, (laughs) but right. Like those medications can have side effects. The, you know, there's multiple ultrasounds that are involved with that. There's often inject like an injection, at least for a trigger shot, if not for some of the stimulating medications, there's often progesterone suppositories that we use afterward. So it's not just as simple as the one-time visit. And then some of the risks of those medications can sometimes make you feel not great. No. And, you know, we do have risks of multiple pregnancies. But number one most important, IUI does not exceed natural conception rates in any scenario, right? We are trying to take a couple who is having infertility, meaning they have a lower than all those numbers we said earlier, mm-hmm. chance of getting pregnant. And we're trying to get them to their age-related chance. I can't exceed it, right? So if you're 42 and doing an IUI, I'm not going to get higher than a less than 3% chance per mm-hmm. month of That's it That's a very important point. 
Very right? important point. So it is, it is trying to get you back to where you should be. And that's how I phrase it for patients. So I love it for donor sperm, right? So absolute male factor, there's no sperm and you're choosing to use donor sperm. Good option there. If you can't have intercourse because it's painful or, yeah. you know, there's a difficulty with erection or ejaculation can be great there. Right. If um, you're stressed because trying to get pregnant can be really hard and it's making, intercourse very tough for your sex life. Sometimes we'll use it in that option to just say, Hey, let's relieve some of your relationship pressure and just know right. that we have the timing. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, for like mild male issues, it can be beneficial. Right. So like my favorite is like low motility, right? There's still lots of sperm. They're still shaped nicely. They're right. just not moving excellently. And then that makes sense because now I'm I'm helping them out with the part that's not working. Right. right. We do use IUI combined with super ovulation for unexplained infertility, but mm -hmm. it doesn't have very high chances of success, you know, but it is something that sometimes we try to just optimize eggs and sperm coming together. The younger you are, the longer you've had infertility. And especially if you've had zero pregnancies, like not miscarrying, no fertilizations in the body ever, I become very skeptical that IUI is now going to get the job done. And I always yeah. tell patients yeah. that, right? Like if, your eggs and sperm have been there and you ovulate years, you know, like 50 yeah. plus times they've had the opportunity and yeah. you've never once seen a pregnancy test. I'm highly skeptical that now just that moving them work. further yeah. down the field is going right. to get the job done. Right. right. And so Absolutely. it has its place. I find that people often think it's going to magically get them pregnant and that it's yeah. going to have these higher than nature chances. Yeah. And that's always a big shock. I think for them saying no, like because of this, your chance is actually much lower. I'm trying to boost you back up to your age related chance. And that's usually kind of shocking. I think for most people. That was an awesome summary of what IUI is. It's a very common question that I get with my patients. I'm sure Justin, you do too. Yeah. I mean, I do. And I, the, the analogy I usually use is like, if you're a golfer, you know, instead of starting where you're driving, you're starting on the green. It's pretty much it. You still have to get in the ball into the hole, but it's just a little bit less of a, less of a hey, trip. Which which some golfers could use, you know, I could probably <laughs> use that myself. Not going to lie. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's just, it's true because we, we, I've talked to a lot of people and they're like, Oh, I'm excited. We're doing IUI. I was like, listen, you have to have realistic expectations here. Right. And you, how many cycles do you usually say is, is appropriate? Uh, usually it's like two to three sometimes, but I guess it also depends on the age, the finances. There's like a lot of different factors involved. That's right? it. It's a good point. I mean, just to quickly answer it. Um, it does depend on the etiology of infertility. So, right. you know, if it's, there's no sperm exposure, you know, typically you'll go up to six. If it is unexplained infertility, you start to see decreasing pregnancy rates after three. So I usually say, you know, the high end of how many you do is typically somewhere between three to six. Nobody says you have to do that many. Some couples right. will do one and then be yeah. like, oh my gosh, like I'm spending two grand for every IUI. If I've and done time. six of yeah, them, I've done six of them. I'm time. six months yeah. down the road yeah. over 10 grand out of dollars and could have done IVF. Right. right. And so we really want to make sure we're thinking through things, but on the same, I mean, there's insurance companies that do mandate people do X number That's, of IUIs based right. on their age or their diagnosis before they're permitted to go on to IVF. And so some people are forced into that treatment option. So, so on that note, let's talk about IVF. What is IVF? What does it involve? And, you know, who is a good candidate for it? 
IVF, all right, in vitro fertilization. So the one-liner about what IVF is, is it is taken one month of eggs. So if we remember that in the ovary, an entire group of eggs is available every month. Typically one egg is selected to ovulate and the rest die. IVF is saying this month, I want all of the eggs that could to grow. That process typically takes two to six weeks of medications to get that job done. At least two of the weeks are 100% injectable shots. So you're going through, you know, let's say two to six weeks of shots, treatment, multiple ultrasounds, blood draws coming to the clinic as we are watching this group of eggs growing. We are measuring their estrogen. We are checking their size. It then undergoes an invasive procedure to get the eggs out of the body. This is done under anesthesia with an extremely long needle that we attach to a vaginal ultrasound. It's a large gauge needle and we poke Very a hole in the side it. of the mm -hmm. vagina, each lateral side, and we enter into the ovary and we drain out each follicle. So we move this needle throughout the entire ovary to drain out these follicles and get test tubes full of the eggs. And then the female partner will wake up and she'll feel crampy. I mean, those ovaries do hurt she'll heal and it will be fine. Um, and then a lot of magic is happening in the lab. So that is when eggs and sperm are being mm -hmm. combined either with conventional fertilization, which is where you have a Petri dish and you just pop the sperm on top of it, cover it and like hope they can do their job or with ICSI, intracytoplasmic sperm injection, which is where we take a sperm, put it in a little pipette and inject it into the Give egg. It a help. Yeah, yeah, even with ICSI, right? ICSI is great for male factor or unexplained or if mm -hmm. we're fearful that right. fertilization can't happen. But even with ICSI, fertilization rates aren't 100. You know, our right. typical fertilization rates are going to be about 75 to 80%. Mm -hmm. Those fertilized eggs then grow out to an implantation stage embryo. So normally what happens in the fallopian tube, egg and sperm meet, embryo grows and develops for five to six days until it reaches the uterus. That is all happening in the IVF lab. Well, the IVF lab has no inflammation. It's not toxic. It's the right pH and the right temperature. And even in that wonderful setting, about 50% of those fertilized eggs will actually make it to that stage of an embryo called a blastocyst. If we do genetic testing on the embryos, which not everybody does, but if you do, right. you take five to eight cells from what is the placenta and freeze the embryo. The rate of genetic normalcy is going to be based on the female partner age. So if your age 34, it's 60% normal. And if you're age 38, it's 30 to 40% normal. And if you're age 42, it's 10 to 15% normal, right? So suddenly you have a huge loss in how many embryos are normal based on what we said at the very beginning of this discussion is the chromosomes inside the eggs degrade over time. And then even with a genetically normal embryo, we see per embryo, if I put one normal embryo inside the uterus, we see a 65% chance of live birth, which is like great to us because all those other numbers suck right. so bad, right. but it's not a hundred, right? So people come in thinking IVF is this fail safe. It's of course going to work. And there's so much that it takes, right? You have to have the right genes, but then they have to be expressed and cells have to divide and the embryo has to have the right metabolic capability. So, so much that we don't test and we don't have a way to know yet needs to go right to become a human child. It's and crazy. So, yeah, it's wild, right? It's I wild mean, right, that babies just, exist. Just, be just before you go further, because I think guys, I just want to like make sure guys understand like all of that pretty much was step one. 
Like women yeah, were- Yeah, yeah, you ejaculated, <laughs> dude. For step one, right? Like this was to get the eggs. The eggs are now outside of the body. But like you just said, if you're an older female, you may not have any embryos develop, fully develop. And guess what? You have to go through that first step multiple, multiple times, times. Yeah. before you even do the second step, which is the, the egg tra transfer into the uterus. So like, this is not guaranteed that you're going to go from step one to step two right away. You might, uh, we've seen it, you know, you've seen it. You might go three times to step one before you even have the chance. Yeah, that's a fabulous point. So um, the number of eggs you get is going to be very dependent. And this is why right. we check, right? So in general, the more eggs you have remaining, the more you have available every month. So the average 30-year-old would get 16 to 20 eggs per round of IVF, and the average 40-year-old would get 8 to 10. So you get a lower starting number based on age, number one. Second, there's things that cause people to run out of eggs early at any age. So, so right. we have to find out. I have young patients who have low egg counts, mm -hmm. and you can overcome a low count by getting more eggs. And how do you get more eggs? You do more cycles. So I take the eight eggs from this month, and I do it again next month, and I get the eight eggs from next month, and I do it again the month after that, and I get the eight eggs after that. The older you are, the lower your egg count, and the more children you want, the more cycles you're going to have to do. Mm. Even if you are average, you're perfectly average. If you're 35 and older and you want at least two children and you have zero, you will need two cycles minimum of IVF. And if you're average, right? So if you're starting this process at age 36, you still have a good prognosis to have a baby. But if you want more than one kid, you're going to have to do that more than one time. Yeah. And you're going to start that second one, even though you might use the eggs from that first time, you may not get, they may not actually be, uh, you might not have a pregnancy from that. Then you're 37, maybe 38 and you're doing the process again. So there's just so many different layers to it. And once again, guys, at this point, you've literally done nothing except for most of the time. Exactly <laughs> the cup. And yeah. this woman, your partner has been injected a billion times. They've been stabbed. They've had stuffed like their eggs sucked out of their uterus. I'm trying to, that's a little bit crude. I apologize, but um, you know, it, it's, it's a lot. So guys, we're trying to really emphasize this idea that, you know, this is a very invasive thing. It's a physically, mentally, you know, emotionally tolling on your partner. So that's why, you know, it is important to get, you know, and time and time, and you know, time. it's like the more you put off, it's just, it's kind of puts things off. You're trying to time ovulations and yes. all that stuff. So the, um, as we said, that's just making embryos, right? Like right. to the point, if you want multiple children, it's going to get only harder as you get older. We try to encourage people to stack cycles up now while you have better outcomes. But of course, that delays your pregnancy and costs more money right now, but will save you money in the long run. But once you have an embryo, you're ready to transfer. We then have to do a test where we put water inside the uterus and watch with ultrasound and make sure the uterus looks okay. We have to use, you know, more medication to get the uterine lining to grow appropriately. We, a large majority of the time, will start pro injectable progesterone, which is an intramuscular shot. It's like a very non-fun, painful shot, like yep. getting a flu yeah. shot every single day in your butt. And then we do the embryo transfer, which is an awake procedure where a speculum goes in the vagina and a little catheter goes through the cervix into the uterus where you place the embryo. And it is takes time. Like even if I am fast tracking somebody through IVF, from the moment we start any medication, 
to the moment you get a positive pregnancy test, if I do one round of IVF, meaning getting one month's group of eggs out, make them into embryos, get a normal embryo and subsequently do an embryo transfer, that's going to be four months long. So that is what the average person's going to go through. I will say there's variations to IVF, right? That we're not going to cover in detail where occasionally you might do a fresh transfer or a minimal stimulation protocol. But for the vast majority of patients now, we are freezing the embryos, allowing the body to heal and doing a frozen embryo transfer. We are seeing better outcomes for the majority of patients when we do that. So you need to know, okay, if I do six IUIs and then I start the IVF process after that, you're going to be lucky to be pregnant a year from now. And that's presuming none of those IUIs resulted in a miscarriage because IUI doesn't decrease your miscarriage rate at all. And that could take you even longer to get from point A to point B. Time is, is, uh, very valuable and it's, it's really crazy. So, you know, Guys, please just, no. if someone asks, like, hey, let's get worked up. Just, don't wait on it. Just don't do wait. it. You're going to do it anyways. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I think one thing I think I've seen in the news a little bit more, because I think Anna Kendrick brought it up, you know, some some celebrities or, you know, in couples, sometimes they decide whether they want to freeze eggs or versus embryos. And there's like sometimes couple decision there. Um who is a good candidate? You know, if you're a guy and you're talking with your partner and it's like, Hey, why don't you just freeze the eggs? Or, you know, why don't we freeze embryos? What, what is kind of the thought process and who you recommend for whether it's a couple freezing eggs for the female partner or versus just an embryo? This is a nuanced discussion really determined by multiple factors, including a patient's goals, their relationship status, their age, and their medical conditions. In the short answer, embryos are going to give you the highest survival rate in the lab and the most data. I can interpret embryos if you're not ready to get pregnant, and I get you a lot closer to feeling assured that you have a child in there if that's one of your life goals. So people who are, you know, married or in very committed relationships, that is a great strategy because if I freeze eggs, I'm about to presume that you are going to fall average on fertilization, on you know the egg thaw, on how many make it to blastocyst, on how many are normal. But the reality is I'm not going to know for you how that really falls until I do go to thaw right. them. Right. However, fertilizing somebody's eggs, you know, commits them to that sperm partner and that has its own repercussions. It costs about twice as much money to do that. So you could do two rounds of egg freezing for about the cost of making them into embryos. And I think that is an important consideration because you could get just a higher number of eggs and maybe buffer the risk that you fall off of average. For the vast majority of people, if you are the same age and you are a male and female partner, if something goes wrong in your relationship and you do not transfer those embryos, the male partner is still going to have a longer reproductive lifespan with somebody else Mm -hmm. than you are. And we've seen this a lot in celebrity news where somebody made embryos and cannot utilize them or they can't make more because they're too old now and their entire option for a genetic child is tied up in a legal battle or... Or other things that we have seen, um, custody given to, you know, the other person, you know, if you broke up these embryos, especially in politically conservative states can be considered people or property or, you know, Texas has a very weird clause in our um, abortion ban that says this is not to prohibit IVF. However, 
if there is a dispute over an embryo, the decision shall be at the discretion of the judge to do what is ever in the best interest of the embryo. Okay. And what's what? the best interest of an embryo? I mean, to probably go to whoever wants to like give it a transfer versus throw yeah. it away. But so yeah. that could mean, you know, you are with a partner and let's just like go down hypotheticals and he like abuses you. And so you're like, never mind, I leave. And you're like, I want to throw our embryos away. And even though we signed paper to agree to that, he decides he wants them and he wants his new girlfriend to carry your baby. The judge could give them to him. Jeez. Right. And so I am, I'm seeing more and more people do eggs and do more eggs really? in today's world. Um, even though embryos give us more data and multiple of reasons, right? I mean, if you're married and you want to try very soon, that's great. A lot of my married couples or engaged couples or highly committed couples who anticipate being together will do a cycle of each. And it really does buffer some risks, right? The advantage of doing an embryo cycle is now I have some data on how your eggs and sperm do in the lab. Right. And I have the knowledge, okay, we did make some embryos. We feel pretty good that even these frozen eggs will do the same if right. we need to use them. But it levels the playing field for a couple because inherently there is a power discrepancy on who can procreate if we are the same age and something goes wrong in our relationship the female partner has less opportunities to further procreate with somebody else than the male partner it's does. A, it's so it's so, and that's why it's so insightful because this was something that obviously i don't think many people think about or talk about and you do you know this is a very important part right exactly especially for women when when you're saying you know, you have a limited amount of eggs. And, and if it's something that you're really worried about, you know, you have to be thinking about what potentially in the worst case scenario, unfortunately it happens. Life happens, you know? Well, we I mean, do. not even breaking up, right? Like what if, what if he dies? You know what I mean? Right. Like, I mean, like he could die and that is yeah. terrible too. Right. But then you might, you might want the opportunity to still have a child and maybe yeah. that's later with a partner who's not him, who doesn't feel comfortable. I mean, there's more scenarios and this is right. why, right. This is why also like abortion and these things are so nuanced. There's always more scenarios than you can inherently envision. And once you're starting to deal in this world, there's certain places where really what you want to do is keep the door open. And so when I look at couples and sometimes like the male partner might say, well, I don't want her just freezing eggs. Like, oh, do you mean you don't want to have a baby with me? And I'm always like, hold on. No, like doesn't mean right. that at all. Right. Our plan will be to use those eggs to help you guys have a baby if you need them. But it just keeps doors open for terrible circumstances that hopefully you never find yourself in. And it allows an honest discussion between two people about their goals and what is important. And I think that that's a very personalized choice, but people should be given that opportunity. Yeah, I love that. Keeping the door open. And I think that's the that's a big part of fertility. You know, life is unpredictable. If if it was predictable, I, I think we yeah. wish more that fertility was somewhat predictable because we could right. do better for our patients, but it's not. And so, you know, keeping the door open, keeping as many options open as possible because, you know, time is not always on our side in these situations. And so, you know, I, I, I completely agree with you. There shouldn't be you know, and we, we'll talk about this a little later, no blanket statements on, you know, things associated with fertility. There's just so much nuance in the care and the decision, the age of the patient, what your relationship status is. Um, and so well, why don't we kind of segue now to, you know, this question on these partners going through 
IVF. You know, here in Amana Podcast, our goal is to inform guys of their health as well as their partners. And one thing that we always kind of lose to many of their, our guys is how physically, emotionally, and mentally demanding these procedures are on women. And so, you know, can you give a, you know, you know, for for the couples that are going through this, are there any recommendations for you know the men whose partners are going uh, undergoing this procedure I and the it, process? Yeah, you know? I think it's important to realize that the number one reason why people drop out of fertility treatment before they reach a child is emotional distress. So even in studies where people have insurance and will pay zero dollars in mandated states, you know, and they could go through cycle after cycle. And science would tell us if they keep doing that, they'll, they'll get a child, they'll get a normal embryo. People will leave. And the cited reason is emotionally, it's too hard to ride the roller coaster, to wonder what's going to happen, to take the blame or to take the relationship stress that comes from it. And so I think your question is spot on. If that's the, one of the top reasons why people leave treatment, how do we help support that better? One, open discussion in your house, you know, Oh, asking questions, allowing the answer to be like hearing your partner's feelings um, because they're feeling, you know, and often it's physical symptoms, it's emotional symptoms, it's a lot of doubts and worries. Two, having good discussions about what your goals are and being on the same page with them and not being closed-minded to options that maybe are not plan A. And that's what I always try to encourage patients to like, yeah, we're shooting for plan A of us having a genetic child together, but I want you to step back. And if our true goal is parenthood, having a child in our life, there's other ways to accomplish that. And I want us to start being open to that may be the road that is going to give us a child. And we just have to open that door and walk it. And I, I think also being present, it's really hard for the female partner to carry the burden the entire time to hear very disappointing news in or on a consult and then have to relay that news to their partner over and over again. And I know this is tough, right? But so as much as you can be present, phone into a consult if you can't be there, even for a brief time. And I'll tell patients this, hey, um, If your partner can only join, you know, try to get them there the last, you know, 20 minutes so they can hear like the high level overview and come and know what our plan Mm. is. Have them come to as many visits as possible or FaceTime them in the room. Let them hear what the doctor is saying. Let them be another set of ears because it's emotionally overwhelming. And I find what a patient might get bad news at clinic then they have to go home and tell it. And then their partner asks questions and they're like, well, I don't know. I was, I was upset. So I didn't get to ask that question. Like be the advocate because it's both of y'all trying to achieve this goal together. So, and that's what I tell my couples, as much as you can be present, be present. If it's not physically present, be virtually present, you know, or, you know, help them think of questions, help them support them. And if they, can't answer a question that you have, you know, you you can reach out to the doctor too. Like you can send an email or a portal message. Like you can help um, not always put the burden on. And some things that I've loved that I've seen partners do, you know, is, is have their, um, you know, partner sometimes be the point person that asks questions, you know, be the person who answers the phone for the HCG call, like kind of having their, um, having the person be the one who gives the shot so that they're like actively involved in taking stress yeah. off of like, I'm yeah. going to own mixing the medications and giving you the injections. Yeah. That way I can take ownership of the stage of the process. And those things might seem little, but they mean a lot to your partner because you're there for the moments 
you're decreasing the emotional burden because you don't have to relive it over and over again. And you're able to more actively like make decisions and understand what somebody is going through. I think it's the best ability is availability, right? Like that's your best, best ability is availability. Being there for your, your partner, uh, really goes a long way and communication, communication, communication. Um, so that was a great, great summary and great recommendations. I do want to end on one final question that, you know, I think is a very, very important one, you know, and, and for guys to really understand, because, uh, when we're talking about Roe v. Wade being overturned in 2022, uh, a lot of guys just can think in their minds, oh, whatever, it's just abortion and, you know, limitation of female rights and abortion. But, you know, what I think the general population really doesn't understand, and you've been such a great vocal advocate about this, is it really has major, major impacts on fertility care. And you've really done such a great job about this and talking about it since this happened. And, you know, we're obviously both very pro-choice, you know, women should have and deserve autonomy over their bodies. And that means abortion rights and access to abortion. Abortion is medical care and it's essential to women's health and wellness. And we have no problem saying this. We've said it multiple times on the podcast, Um, but having you on here, uh, we really want you to just highlight to our listeners, you know, how the overturning of Roe v. Wade has really negatively impacted women's health and fertility care, because it's, it's obviously just such an important issue that I think guys don't really understand enough about. Thank you so much for being willing to bring this topic to the table. And so often we you know, are not seeing our colleagues speak up about it. And I just want to say like, that's very impactful to me personally, professionally, and I'm sure to everybody who is listening. If we think about what a lot of these abortion bills are trying to do is they're trying to walk abortion back as far as possible to be illegal. And so a lot of them are saying, well, when do we want to define life then? We're going to define it at fertilization. Makes no sense physiologically, right? Because right. we already talked about that happens in the fallopian tube, right? That's not even a yeah. pregnancy. It's not even right. in the uterus yet. Yeah. Most of those fertilized eggs, I mean, like, will not ever, ever make it into yeah. becoming a living child. So physiologically, like that doesn't argument doesn't make sense. But that is a timeline that has a lot of important meaning. Because if you give an embryo and call it life from fertilization, can I grow it in a lab? Can I freeze it? Can I selectively transfer one at a time? Can I do genetic testing on it? Can I help somebody terminate a pregnancy that's not going to make it because of a lethal fetal abnormality? And what we're seeing is patients, I'm in Texas, right? I'm seeing patients who have extremely desired pregnancies and they get devastating news that there is a lethal fetal anomaly and now they have to travel out of state and they're getting care upwards of five to six weeks later than they Mm. would normally. And that has serious implications because every day of a pregnancy, the placenta is growing in and the baby is getting bigger and it is requiring more from the maternal source. And so that means the risk income increased. So now a procedure that typically didn't have much risks, even though it was devastating and terrible, now we have significant risks of hemorrhage, retained placenta, losing your uterus or having your uterus scarred in addition to losing your life if something goes wrong. And that alone is making people have 
a harder time getting pregnant in the future. It's emotionally distressing. And of course, a place of privilege because not everybody can take off work and travel to another state Absolutely. and go get yeah. this done in addition to the huge backup in states who are you know, willing to allow this. You're also finding doctors can't help their patients, right? Because of how a lot of these bills are worded. Right, yeah. So suddenly you're having to walk this terrible road really, really alone. And then we're seeing these clauses for life-threatening abnormalities be extremely vague. Things like pre-viable rupture of membranes when you're 16 weeks pregnant and your water breaks. And the three of us here know the odds of that pregnancy making it to 24 weeks, it's non-existent. No. Yet we have to wait but nothing is threatening mom's life at that moment, right? So you have to wait until that pregnancy results in an infected uterus, and then mom becomes septic before you can willingly intervene. What does a septic uterus mean? It's an infected uterus, and the chance of it scarring or not functioning later, extremely high. One of the top causes of Asherman syndrome or scarred uterus is an infected uterus. So you're forcing somebody to become septic, a blood infection from a uterus source that you know is going to happen without a chance of that fetus surviving. And, you know, we've, we've, we've been lucky to see a lot of people speak up about this. I mean, celebrities like Christy Teigen went through, um, a second mm -hmm. trimester, you know, abortion for yeah. pre-viable rupture of membranes and came back out after Roe was overturned and said, you know, I had an abortion. That wasn't an abortion. Like I didn't, I view it as a pregnancy loss yeah. because I wanted that pregnancy, but under today's laws in a lot of States, they couldn't have done that. And I would it's have crazy. bled and gotten infected and maybe not had this baby that I have now. And so I think that that's very important to realize that one, these bills impact a spectrum of reproductive health, access to contraception, how we manage miscarriage, how we manage ectopic pregnancy, how we manage pregnancy complications that we know happen, and how we're able to treat patients. Pregnancy is not health neutral. Bad circumstances to baby or mom are going to happen. Yep. Sadly, that is something we all know. Pregnancy itself makes somebody high risk. Mm -hmm. And so forcing somebody to endure that um, under the context of not intervening for their cancer or maybe they have lupus and they're going to go into renal failure and all these circumstances that can happen, we're really doing such a disservice. And we're not allowing physicians to practice medicine in an evidence-based way. Restricting has, abortion has never restricted abortion. It's only increased maternal morbidity and mortality, right? We've just had increase yeah. of maternal risks without an increase in fetal survival. And we've even seen studies published looking at Texas data since the heartbeat bill was passed showing just that. More maternal complications without any increase in fetal survivability. So I think that we really need to understand that all of your OBGYN and women's health and you know physicians who are speaking out about this we were not told to be political, right? We were actually trained right. to be apolitical, yeah. like yeah. don't get involved in politics, just like be an open door for every patient right. to feel comfortable. And yet we are stepping, stepping into the political arena because we now see that politicians allowing personal beliefs to dictate what healthcare is available is a huge mistake and it is going to cost lives. And I think that you should be able to believe whatever you personally want about abortion. But I think you should have the right, if you found yourself in a terrible circumstance, to make the decision with you and your doctor and your partner, if applicable, that makes sense for you and your family. And currently you are not allowed to do that in many states 
in this country. And, you know, it's hard to say what can you do about it. We see more and worsening abortion bills introduced every day. South Carolina has a bill willing to charge, it's not passed yet, but on the docket that will charge somebody with homicide if they have an abortion. And in South Carolina, the penalty for homicide is the death penalty, right? That is unreal. Right. And so, I mean, we really need to think about if this is your, you know, wife, sister, daughter, colleague, friend, like, is this the really the world we want to be living in to dictate what your personal beliefs like have to be dictated into medical care? There's a reason why science exists and studies exist and that we know that these procedures are, are, are safe. Like an abortion is a really safe procedure done at the appropriate time and in the right circumstance. And we've seen terrible consequences when it has to be done illegally or late or delayed for maternal life. And it's a really scary zone that we're living in. Um, the more we speak up about it, the more we start to acknowledge that this is medical care. Abortion is a spectrum of reproductive care. These mm-hmm. bills are going to restrict contraceptive access, miscarriage management, and fertility care. If you've walked through the IVF process like we did, you can clearly understand yeah. how IVF will be next on the docket based on how they're setting up these abortion bills. So, I mean, we would love everybody's support. We have Doctors for Fertility as a nonprofit and a political action committee, doctorsforfertility.org. We're really trying to ban up with both healthcare professionals and patients saying that like our goal is to help people have families. Yet this is an important step of family building. Sadly, for some people, this is a really important thing. And we need to be able to have full access to reproductive care if we really want to be able to treat care of patients the best. And I, I appreciate you guys so much for stepping up and being so vocal about it because we really need everybody's help. So well said, Justin. I mean, I, I mean, we agree a thousand percent with everything yeah. you said. I mean, it's it's awesome. So I think I think you know, obviously, uh, you know, we're wrapping this up now. I, I think that you now understand. Hopefully, guys have a better understanding of a, you know, how important it is for them to play their part in the role uh, in fertility evaluation. B, you know, have a better understanding of what their partner, if you have to go through even just the evaluation alone, uh, and if you have to go through IVF or IUI, how invasive it can be, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally tolling, um, and how important it is to be present and be available and be supportive of your partner in that process. Um, How, you know, you can't really delay because the only person you're hurting in, in getting evaluated is yourself and your partner and, and the yep. chances for your fertility. Absolutely. And then obviously is this last factor, you know, we have to care for our partners. We have to care for our daughters, our wives, our mothers, our children, you know, and, you know, abortion care, female care, wellness all starts with the same stuff. And and if we can't have that autonomy and we, and women can't have that autonomy, you know, all of the stuff we talked about, you know, maybe for not in the, in the long run. So uh, really thank you again, Dr. Crawford, for coming on. Obviously, I think everyone knows where to find you, but <laughs> give your, give a, if, for our listeners, where can they find you? Uh, yeah. Where do you practice? And you know, talk about all that. Thank you. So, thank you so, so much. Um, I am on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD and TikTok is the same. I have a YouTube, which is Natalie Crawford MD and I host the as a woman podcast. Mm -hmm. I also practice in Austin, Texas at Fora Fertility. And I just, I love you guys. Thank you for, you know, speaking these conversations and helping 
just disseminate really good health information because there's such a big stigma when it comes to fertility and we really um, need to talk about it to change things. So I appreciate you. All right, guys. So let's wrap it up. Thanks again for everyone for listening to this week's episode. This was really, really fantastic. We are so honored to have you on. Um, Any questions, comments, concerns, you can always reach out to Kevin or I on our socials at Justin Dubin, MD at Kevin Chu, MD. Um, You can follow us on our social media platforms uh, at the man up on TikTok, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Uh, Our our handles are the same for our our socials as well. Um, We always appreciate you downloading, subscribing on our our podcast on all the platforms, Spotify, iTunes. Also have a YouTube channel. Subscribe, download, comment. Always appreciated. Kevin, what's our website? Our website is www.demandapod.com. All right. For Dr. Crawford, Kevin, and I, thanks for listening. Until next time, have a good one.